Welcome back to the 10 Blogs Podcast. This is John Tierney. I'm a contributing editor to the City Journal, where I've been writing frequently about the disastrous response to the COVID pandemic. Today, I'm joined by the author of a terrific new book on this subject, Jonas Serra, a journalist whose work I've admired for decades in magazines and books. Joe is a longtime op-ed columnist for the New York Times. Uh, he's now a columnist for the Free Press, and, he, and, and he's the co-author of the new book, The Big Fail, What the Pandemic Revealed About Who America Protects and Who It Leaves Behind. Joe and his co-author, Bethany McLean, are both veteran financial journalists and the co-authors of a previous bestseller, A History of the 2008 Financial Crisis, titled All the Devils Are Here. Now they've applied their impressive reporting skills to provide an insider's view of how things went so wrong during the pandemic. Uh, many of these mistakes will be familiar to readers of City Journal. We've been criticizing the lockdowns and school closures and mask mandates for three years now. But these mistakes are not so familiar to people who can get in their news from left-leaning media. And that's one reason I think this book is so valuable. So you and Bethany can hardly be accused of being conservatives. You both write for liberal uh, publications, or you have written for them, and you share some of the perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's true. Although, if you ask Bethany, and as I did recently, and said, "What are your politics?" She, she, she'll respond by saying, "I have no politics. I I, I believe in things that work. I, I lean left, but again, I am a pragmatist. And to take one example that has nothing to do with the pandemic, I strongly believe that vaping could save millions of of lives." If only public health would get behind it instead of demonizing it. Um, I love it. Joe, you and I are on the same page. We've been two lonely crusaders for vaping. And I, I know. I know. agree with you. And you've done great work on that. Thanks. Um, but anyway, now you do have credibility with liberal readers. And, and so now at a time when you know, many liberals want to pretend that COVID policies work or they just want to try and forget it or and avoid the subject altogether, you're showing them uncomfortable truths that they can't dismiss as, as misinformation coming from, you know, knee-jerk conservatives. You show how the pandemic mistakes hurt the most vulnerable members of society, children, the poor, the working class, small business, the very groups that liberals profess to be protecting. Now, I've written that, that the response to COVID was the greatest public policy mistake ever made during peacetime. But to me, the only thing that comes close is the Great Depression. Um, do you think that's fair? How would you assess this? <laughs> that's an interesting. I've never thought to try to put it into 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 any kind of context like that. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm scrolling through my memory right now and trying to figure out what what we could have done, what what other uh, what compares to it. And I can't really think of anything. So I'm going to allow your statement. <laughs> I'm going to allow your statement to stand uh, uncriticized. Okay, thanks. Well, now you write in the book that in the United States, lockdowns became equated with following the science. It was anything but. Yes, there were computer models suggesting lockdowns would be effective, but there were never any actual scientific studies supporting the strategy. It was a giant experiment, a one that would bring devastating social and economic consequences. Now, one of the strengths of your book is the great reporting you've done. You interviewed um, uh, a lot of insiders at the White House and federal agencies. I mean, do you want to briefly you know, give a sense? I know it's a complicated story, but how did this mistake get made? Um, well, <laughs> it, 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 it's a multi-part thing. I mean, um, it, it, it begins with um, 
you know, George Bush, George W. Bush wanting a pandemic plan because he reads John Barry's uh, terrific book, The Great Influenza, about the 1918 um, pandemic. He says, oh, my God, this is going to happen again. We need a plan. The two uh, doctors that are put in charge of the plan, they don't have an epidemiology background, but they're smart guys and they're, you know, they're sort of modern guys. And so, you know, they get they get their hands on um, a model done by a high school girl, although <laughs> I should note that her father is a science as a government scientist in Albuquerque that shows that purports to show that, you know, if people are locked up, the, the disease doesn't spread. And they really embrace this idea. And a big fight ensues uh, inside the White House where there are people who are opposed to this, primarily D.A. Uh, DA Henderson, the man who ended smallpox and would seem to have some, some credibility on the subject. But he is. And he wrote a great paper back in like 2006, I think yes. it was, saying so this, no lockdown, you don't mandate masks, you try to have society continue normally, right? Uh, yes. He. Um, this was this was the culmination of this battle inside the White House over what the pandemic plan would look like. So he and three others, including Jennifer Nuzzo, who's you know a pretty uh, widely quoted talking head on on this pandemic, they wrote a paper and and the the conclusion was, you know, society works best when people don't panic, and if public health causes people to panic with their with their mitigation measures uh it, it, it's a potential catastrophe and that's pretty much what happened i would say um the other thing so there's a second part to this too john not to not to put you to sleep or anything but uh, no, it's fascinating the 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 other part of this is that the chinese did it obviously and it seemed to be working uh, you, you shut down the whole city of Wuhan and, and 55 million people in, in the first phase of the lockdown were, were locked down in China. But you never pe most people didn't think that could ever happen in a Western democracy. And then Italy locked down when the, the pandemic moved to Italy and they did the same thing. And suddenly pro lockdown forces are thinking to themselves, aha, we can do this in a, in a, a Western democracy. And it, it was almost uh, it was almost like a contagion in and of itself, as one country after another after another shows this strategy to fight the the pandemic. Now, you know the problem with the strategy the, the strategy if this if the purpose of the strategy is to relieve the pressure on hospitals over a very short term, three weeks or so, it, there's nothing wrong with it. If the strategy is that you're going to lock everybody up. And the, the pandemic is going to go away. That's that's insane because, right. A, the pandemic doesn't go away. It just kind of lurks around waiting for you to leave your house. And B, you know, all these virtuous people who are members of the Zoom class were being, you know, they got their food for some from guy from DoorDash and they got their goods from some guy in a Amazon warehouse and, you know, FedEx and UPS and meat packers who, who got COVID like crazy. So there was this whole sense that, that the working class and the poor had to put their lives at risk uh, so that the Zoom class could feel virtuous. Panic pandemic, you know, I've called it that. And, and of course, this was fueled by the media. I mean, it was, it was probably, you know, public officials who did it. 
and and the media to me it was partly just with digital media and and you know, this instant click stuff but but you know but the mainstream media and just about everyone had that chiron and you had the and on tv screens at the fatality rate and they're just and i think that's part of the problem with the media today it's just become more and more. it's always been about scaring people but it's just got into complete panic porn with this and terrified people as you say times made a mistake firing don mcclain who uh uh, actually knew what he was talking about. I mean, there's another factor that seems to me that, that was going on, though, in, in the scientific establishment. Um, you know, why did scientists go along with this? I mean, it's one thing that, you know, the, I, you have a great quote from somebody um, at, at the White House, I think it was, saying, it just became we had to do something, and this was something. So I understand why politicians feel a need to have to do, you know, th- this is something, therefore it must be done. But why so many scientists went along? Well, this gets into another uh, thing that D.A. Henderson believed. He, he, made, he always made this distinction between shoe leather uh, epidemiologist and computer model epidemiologist. And the computer model epidemiologist, you know, felt very strongly that lockdowns would make a big difference. And, you know, that is not science in the sense of, of you've proven the efficacy of something. That's simply... Uh, a scientific model based on hypotheticals. Right. But, but because in, in England, uh, Neil, Neil, um, Ferguson, Neil Ferguson, uh, the head the epidemiologist at the Imperial college in London put out a study in mid March that basically said, if you don't lock down and take other extreme measures, you know, uh, 2.2 million people in the U S will die and 500,000 people in England will die. And if you look at his chart, if you look at his chart, he has them dying by August. Right. Two million so, people that summer. And it was and it was he called it the only viable strategy. Right. And and, and no even even Trump, even Trump panicked over that. Right. Right. I know that I mean the one person that didn't panic was um um in Sweden where they did. Um, yes, that's right. Um the head uh Tignel was the head of it, but also this veteran Giseke, and I wrote about this. I nominated them both for the Nobel Prize for Medicine. Um, <laughs> that uh, that Giseke had been a pioneer of computer modeling in Sweden, and he saw Ferguson saying, and he just had, he just said, this is a horror scenario of no use to anyone. He knew how wrong Ferguson's group had been in the past. They were, you know, they'd be predicting mass casualties, and there'd be 300 people from a pandemic. And, yes. and he just knew that these models were so bad. And he told Tanyel, don't get, you know, pay no attention to these models. But why did the rest of the scientific community? Don't forget, at first, uh, Sweden's numbers were high. Right. And, and they were getting pummeled by the rest of the world, uh, uh, public health experts. You know, right. oh, my God, it's a strategy for murder and so on and so forth. Today, you go look at their numbers now, it's like, no better or worse than anybody else's. I mean, there are some countries that are better, well, they're but many better than everyone else. They're one of the lowest excess mortality rates. Excess mortality, they're 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 really one of the lowest. I that's right. So yeah, so they've actually done very well, and people should look to what they did. You know, they did. It's not like they did nothing. I mean, you can't do no. nothing. They did. They they protected. They trusted their citizens. They trusted their citizens to take sensible, voluntary action. Well, and that's why ninety-seven percent of their citizenry. Uh, was vaccinated yeah. and the time came because they trusted their government. Right. And we've just lost that trust here. I mean, I think another factor, and, and this may be a little afield, but the public health establishment, you know, for decades, 
I mean, I've written about about what I call the left war on science. That the progressives have been, you know, for a century, have been using science to justify, you know, uh, you know, they and they've now started calling it the science, which I define as you know, anything that justifies greater government control over people's lives. And you know, the eugenics movements from population control, you know, now climate change. But the public health establishment is really one of the the most captured groups. I mean, for decades now, you know, someone did the history of the public health. Thing and said, you know, they used to do great things, like, you know, controlling malaria, genuine public health problem. And then they got into now where they're into so many basically, you know, progressive causes, gun control, you know, epidemics, this. Um, and and, and that basically that its primary purpose has become how do we expand government control over people to save people from themselves? Okay. And so, think, you know, John, this is where this is where my liberal yeah. side emerges, you know. I believe in gun control. I think it's important. Right. I think was a, I think there's a pandemic. I don't think the public, violence. right, but I would say that whatever you think about gun control, I don't think the public health people, the doctors, the doctors know much about that. That's for, the, the, you know, that's for scientists and other right. people. Well, the great example, the, the I great mean, example. I public health establishment, for example, you know, yeah. also supports, their association supports guaranteed universal income. The, yeah, the, yeah. I, I, I mean, they're into left-wing causes that, that well, not, that, and then claiming that they're doing this on a scientific basis. The best example of this it, during the pandemic, of course, was the way um, the public health establishments would would mock and scorn Florida because uh, people were 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 going to the beach, right? And then, and then when Black Lives Matters happened, they said, "Oh yeah, it's okay. To, you know, it's okay to rally for that." You know. Uh, because it's, it's so important, and um, it, you know, it's like you might get COVID, but but don't worry about it because you're doing something that matters. And, and it was ridiculous. The truth of the matter is, you were safer at the beach in Florida than you were at a Black Lives Matter uh, Lives Matters rally. They were arresting solitary surfers, you know, in California. It was really distant. Well, the worst thing California did was they passed that law that said we can arrest you, Mister Doctor, for. For You're spreading right. misinformation. Well, well, what the what the what the heck is misinformation, <laughs> Gavin? Come on, man. Yeah, but I, I mean, I would argue, and we go on forever about this, but I mean, that has been a big feature of uh, of scientific debate for decades now. That you, you know, that it's been going on in other fields about IQ, race, uh, you know, gender differences. That all these things have become taboo, and you get ostracized because people want to use these scientific findings to advance politics. So. You have to silence anyone who tries to debate them because that's a justification. And I think, I mean, to be the pandemic was a culmination of that process. And I think what's also happened is just that these institutions, scientific institutions, you know, the universities, the funding agencies, the journals, the professional society, they've just become more and more dominated by progressives. And I, so I think you had kind of a perfect storm here where the whole public health establishment, and as you point out in the book, they of course, anything Trump wanted to do was, of course, you know, automatically wrong. Right, and the um, schools. This, the greatest example of that was the schools, where the science was absolutely clear that schools were safer than homes, and that kids were being damaged far more by not being in school than 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 by being, you know, uh, remote learning. No, I mean, it was just an unbelievable that, you know, how that went on. How do you see us avoiding this problem the next time? I don't. 
Uh, you know, you about, uh, I mean, one thing you talk about, for instance, is the mask shortage. Yeah, you know, the fact that, uh, and, and you say it wasn't so much Obama, but Congress, although it was a Democratic Congress, that didn't fund refilling the stockpile. Yeah, but it's and, not just refilling the stockpile. It really has, and this is where I think you'll disagree with me quite a bit, I'm guessing, is because from my point of view, the embrace of globalization by the U.S., the wholesale embrace, left us sort of naked when the pandemic came uh, because we didn't have any resilience in our system. And so, you know, the Chinese that we all get our masks from, they said, well, I'm not going to give them to you. We got a pandemic. We need it for our people. And we were left flat-footed. And, um, you know, I think that this points up to a, to a broader problem in the economy, which is that uh, we have outsourced so much of the things that we need uh, that we are vulnerable to uh, another country's, you know, blackmail or uh, another pandemic or, or, or so on and so forth. Um, the, in terms of the next time, I, I, I believe pretty strongly that the next time there will not be a lockdown really? because people won't stand for it. And so they will have to, it'll have to be much more on the Swedish model um, because that, the thing that public health really never took into account was the way human beings behave. Right. You, you just The reason they lost so much credibility was because at a certain point they were saying things like wear a mask when it was obvious that you didn't need to wear a mask or, you know, you, you, a million things like that. So I think the next time it is quite likely that there'll be less... Um, less locking down and more sort of just taking certain precautions that make sense until a vaccine arises. Well, I hope you're right. But I see, you know, for instance, you know, the WHO, the World Health Organization, they're trying to get this new, you know, new pandemic treaty that would, you know, give them powers to order everyone to, you know, that, that everyone should, you know, so Sweden wouldn't be able to, to show people the right way. And also, I mean, I still see places, you know, doctor's offices that are still doing masks and which makes me lose confidence in them as doctors. But, and I still think a lot of people haven't, still haven't admitted, you know, that these things were wrong. And yeah, I mean, Rachel Walensky, the CDC said, you know, when she said, yeah, we made some mistakes. And Fauci said it too. We didn't do enough early enough. We, did, we weren't tough enough. And, and I fear that those, you know, the, that those agencies, the public health establishment is still going to be there. Now, do you think, you know, you mentioned the possibility. I mean, do you think that a, that a, a blue ribbon, uh, COVID panel could accomplish something? Um, in a normal in environment, I think the answer is yes. Blue Ribbon Commission after the financial crisis um, uh, really did a lot of good, uh, in my opinion. Historically, the commission after the 1929 uh, market crash uh, led us to the SEC and so on. But the environment that we live in now that is so polarized, it's hard to imagine anything good coming out of it, because it seems to me that both sides would just fight about, you know, did lockdowns work or did they not work? Did masks work? Did they not work? And I just, it's very hard for me to envision a scenario where people of good faith on both sides come together and really evaluate what makes sense and what doesn't. I spoke to Scott Atlas, who was on Trump's, you know, and he was early on, early critical lockdowns got completely, you know, Stanford was, you know, they passed a resolution denouncing him. The Senate, they, Professor Stanford said he should have his medical license stripped. Um, but he told me, he said he just didn't think that any 
uh, commission in Washington that'll just get dismissed as partisan, no matter what it is. And I've tried to think, Jay Bhattacharya, you know, one of the great scientists during this, you quote him in the book, um, you know, he does favor a commission and he thinks that the, the data are just so clear that, you know, that how can, you know, how could a group deny it? What I've tried to think about is who would you put in charge of that commission? I mean, the whole public health establishment virtually was in on this fiasco. I, I think I would probably put Jennifer Nuzzo or Michael Osterholm in charge of it. Uh, Osterholm was another, you know, prominent talking head, a very esteemed epidemiologist at the University of Minnesota. But, you know, he told me recently that um, that lock, he didn't think the lockdowns worked and he didn't think in most cases masks work unless you had an N95. Right. And that, but, but, I mean, Osterholm, I think you quote him in the book when the great Barrington, when Jay Bhattacharya and... Um, and the others did the Great Barrington Declaration, that he called it pixie dust and pseudoscience. Yeah, I think he doesn't believe that anymore. Uh, okay, well, he's so, trying to say that. And Jennifer Nuzzo, I mean, one of the things I really liked about her, she never talked to me, which really annoyed me, but she, in, in 2019, just before the pandemic hit, she uh, oversaw a, a massive study about... Um, uh, you know how we should think about a pandemic. If if one came, what we what should we do? It was it was for Johns Hopkins, and th there was a section section in there about mitigation measures. And she said, you know, we should not embrace any mitigation measure until we know whether it works, until we know about the efficacy. Right. And she says in the report, at this point, we don't know, and that to me was one of the most honest statements. You didn't hear anybody saying that during well, the pandemic. Well, actually, the C I mean, the CDC's official plan and the UK's plan and Canada's plan, they all said, you, you don't lock down, you don't mandate, you don't ha have public mask mandates. They all said that based on the evidence. It's just everybody threw out those plans. So I, you know, and, and I and I worry that, I mean, and this is an interesting suggestion. I just wonder if people say, well, she was anti-lockdown to begin with. She's biased. I mean, I was thinking, would somebody like Steven Pinker or, you know, a I, I suppose the left might dismiss him as you know, but he's certainly he's a Democrat. You know, he's a liberal. Hey, that's a pretty that's a pretty interesting uh, that's a pretty interesting thought thought. Yeah. So I mean, you need I mean somebody you need somebody outside the public health establishment who's who knows numbers and you know I mean I guess I mean economists did some of the better work on this. Yes, you know, they did. You know because they actually were were looking at numbers and trends. So. And they did the best um, data on excess mortality. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and that was something that that just got ignored. So they threw out. So, well, I hope you're right about us not repeating this. But I do think. I mean, I guess my personal feeling is that that I, it's hard to imagine. Um, you know, I mean, the Biden administration would never, I think, appoint a COVID commission. They have no interest, and, and so I guess I, I think that if DeSantis, you know, won, or if the Republicans got the Senate and Rand Paul, you know, was the head of that committee, they would do something, but as you say, they probably would just get dismissed as partisan. So, well, um, at least at least we have smart people like you writing books. Oh, thank it. you. And I hope that and, and I hope that this really makes an impact with you know people who've been trying to ignore these lessons. So you know we're out of time now, but um, I urge uh, listeners uh, you can read more about this in Joe's book, The Big Fail: What the Pandemic Revealed About Who America Protects and who it leaves behind. And, and, and you can read it in my review. It's at www.cityjournal.org, my review of the book. 
Uh, you can also find City Journal on X at City Journal and on Instagram at City Journal underscore MI. As usual, if you like what you've heard on this 10 blocks, please give us a nice rating on iTunes. Joe, thanks for a great discussion and a great book. Uh, John, thank you so much. I, I, I so appreciate being here. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.